Deroan Saranai to all of you. The request was to go through some short instructions of Karaniya Metta and to meditate together. So I've actually got some slides just to help us along a little bit. And you can look at it or you don't need to look at it. That's perfectly fine. It's entirely up to you. I'll give a bit of an overview because I think it's always good to know why we are developing this because we will meditate together. We said that we were going to have 45 minutes of meditation together and then we're going to have a Dhamma discussion. So let's first pay homage to the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. So homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. So just with Karaniya Metta Sutta, People often think that Karaniya Metta Sutta is simply for protection and they do know that it is the medicine for anger. So that's very much the, the first two things that often is talked about because as you know there was the story in the suttas about the monks who were spending the bus in a forest and then they were having great difficulty and so they came to the Buddha because they were disturbed by funny sights and things in the mind and everything. And so the Buddha definitely taught Karaniya Metta for protection, something to be chanted and everything. And he definitely taught it as the medicine for anger. And as a result of cultivating that, you also start to remove certain blocks towards understanding the Dhamma because you can see that in the insight pathway. So we'll, we'll go through that. And there's also the blessings of loving kindness. And the main thing is most of those things are all mundane level Dhamma. So where this session where we would like to practice is actually to see the super mundane path. So the one that establishes the right view, the one that activates the Noble Eightfold Path as a result of establishing the right view, and then also the one that leads to the insight of the path and fruit of non-return. Because it is possible when you read the Karaniya method to see that if you get the direct insight from doing the meditation then you realize you do not want to come back into a mother's womb and so that leads to Nibbana so that's why the teaching is really important it's not simply to wish people well like a lot of people also practice mundane metta and when Buddha was asked that question Buddha was saying, well, the method that is practiced here is very different because there's an inside pathway, the right view is established, and we are actually activating the Noble Eightfold Path, and the Bojangas do get activated, as do the other Bodhipakya Dhammas. So it's very different. It's not a case of, oh, hello, wish you well, hello, wish you well. It's more than that. And so it's really important to know that when you're developing it. So what we mean by developing the Noble Eightfold Path is when we go through the Karaniya Metta, you definitely start with right view, even in the first step of Uju Suju, because when we say Karaniya Mata Kusalena, Kusalena is always saying, what is Kusala? We need to have the Kusala states of mind in order to cultivate Metta. So Kusala, we always say is Dasa Kusala. And so what you see is when you establish the right view, the 10 skilled states, then your intentions, you let go of the sensual desire thinking, the ill will thinking, the cruelty thinking. And if the mind is correct, then the other ones you let go of as well. And that's what we see when we do Uju Suju. We're actually letting go of the wrong speech, the wrong action. And of course, right livelihood follows after that. Now, in the meditation, what we're always lifting is the effort. We're always lifting the mind with making the effort to say, okay, what is what does it mean to have the skilled state? So you always use the right effort to make that happen. 
And right mindfulness is the one that's always checking. And so if you do the karaniya method properly, you get to this, you get to the right concentration. So it's not the case of a lot of people think concentrate, concentrate, concentrate in their meditation, irrespective of what meditation it is. But when we say right concentration, it is the fruit of establishing right view and then the other path factors are developed or they follow. So you will see that in Karaniya Metta. I'll give a brief overview of the Karaniya Metta. Essentially, the reason why we pull out the inside pathway is because it's the quicker way of doing it, but it doesn't mean that the other bits are not there. So when we start with the first line, this is about Kusala. So Dasa Kusala, that leads to the state of peace being Nibbana. That's what the ultimate state of peace is. So remember, this is the super mundane practice. We want to get out of the whole mass of suffering. So with the first step, Uju, which is upright, we're saying, we check, what is our physical conduct like? So that means, do we kill? Do we steal? Do we have sexual misconduct? And when the practice gets higher, you take that further beyond sexual misconduct to all kinds of sensual pleasures do you misuse any of the senses for that so that's the physical conduct so you check did i kill a mosquito did i do something intentionally uh, in terms of taking what is not given have i taken something from someone's room have i used something without asking permission those sorts of things and so you clean the mind in that respect if you've done it you say mm, i'm not able to cultivate metta if i do this therefore i need to abandon it and the abandoning is the very important part. Now, the same with sexual misconduct, you know, anything to do with that. So you clean. So once you've done that, you go to verbal conduct. So we're still at the upright. And so we're saying, have I, have I had any false speech? Now, this could be little white lies. It could be other things which align, particularly can happen in the workplace where you don't want to tell the truth and, and instead of saying, like being quiet, you actually say, say an untruth. So it's things like that that you want to clean. But in a super mundane sense, it's also getting duped by the world. Like if you keep falling for things in the world, like um, astrology is a good example, and then you talk about it as if it's so real and it should be believed, when it's really Nibbana, that is the real truth. And so... It's the level to which you've realized what is false and what is true. Then you have divisive speech. So anything where you're dividing people, separating one group from another group or one person from another person. Any examples of that? So you, you think, was anything that I did yesterday, the day before, the day before that? Or if you've cleaned it, then something in the past. And it's really because when you look at this, you really want the mind to be able to cultivate metta. Usually a really good meditation before the Metta Sutta is Vatupama or Anumana. And that's because all those states of mind are actually non-Metta. So when you think about the verbal speech, the verbal speech comes out of what's been in our mind. And so if you think about Palasa being the divisiveness or the disparaging, that's what is creating divisive speech. So you clean for that, then you clean for harsh speech. So if you've shouted at anybody, use rude language or hurt somebody with the words, uh, you think about things at work, at home, in the community, with neighbours, whoever it is, and you, you clean, clean for that, realising that it's not, it's not metta.
I mean, what we're saying is if you if we do these things, then how can we have met that, particularly to the people that we've been abusing with speech or dividing out? It's almost like we're, we're limiting the metta and it's also, it doesn't go together. It's like, doesn't doesn't match. And then when it comes to frivolous talk, this is really around delusion. So many people think that gossiping, uh, talking about worldly things is conducive, that it's fine. But what you realize when you, when you practice is that with the frivolous talk, it keeps reverberating in the mind. And we end up even insulting people or hurting people with empty speech. So we talk about even people who are third parties that we may not actually know. But it's very non-method to be saying certain views and opinions about people that are out there. A lot of that is about recognizing it's increasing the root of delusion. So you can see like killing is uh, killing and also harsh speech, divisive speech that increases the root of of hate, the sexual misconduct and the frivolous talk that's increasing the root of delusion, uh, when you have taking what is not given, that's greed, when you have the, the talk which is false, then a lot of that is the root of greed. And so you want to just be able to see that this is how we establish the right view. We know what is kusala and we know what is not kusala. And so you just do this cleaning to start with. So that's uju, upright. Once you've done that, thoroughly upright is saying, it doesn't matter what happens outside of this meditation, but for this meditation, I'm going to make a very strong determination not to have any of those misconduct, physically or verbally. And so you make that, you make that aditana. I'm not going to do it because if I want to cultivate metta, I just can't have these things and I recognize that. And so you make that. So that's thoroughly upright. Easy to instruct, there's a whole sutta, that's Anumana sutta. So it goes through things like raising ourselves, lowering others, belittling people, having evil wishes, being arrogant. Lots of things that intersect with Vatupama sutta and also around taking feedback. But when you do the meditation, the four things that are really important for this are derogation, so makkah, palasa, which is the divisiveness or disparaging, envy, which is issa, and then also macharya, which is the stinginess. So if you remember, derogation is taking away somebody's good qualities. And so if we've done someone bad that way at work or with our family members or our friends, then you make sure, oh, I derogated, it's bad. In the super mundane sense, this is really also about derogating nibbana. Every time we raise something higher in the world, science, astrology, health, diet, whatever it is, that's how we derogate Nibbana. And so it's quite a bad thing to do once you, you really see it, particularly when you don't take so much refuge in the world. Dis disparaging very much is like divisiveness. So in your mind, if you're wanting to always block certain people out, limit them, it really comes from hostility. So when you are hostile towards certain people, genders, race, all that sort of thing in your mind, and then you have this intention towards splitting, blocking, then, then that's what you want to remove. And this often happens at work. It often happens even amongst friends and groups, even amongst dumber groups. And so you want to look at examples that just cleanse the mind of it. Envy comes from derogation. So usually what you find is 
when you're envious of someone, then you're quite prepared to belittle them. But the envy thing is usually around certain abilities. Sometimes in Dhamma, it's around ability to get to attainment. Sometimes it's around sila. Sometimes it's around various other things. But what you want to do is also cleanse the mind because you cannot spread method to someone you're envious of. And so you want to be able to include. You want to say, actually, it's atta. You know, it's me and mine that has these kind of defilements. When atta steps aside, when you're not identifying with me and mine, a lot of these defilements just drop away. And so envy is very clearly one of those where you're not seeing the true picture for a person. You think, oh, it's all like that. But they're also suffering. They're also brother and sister in old age, sickness and death. And then the last one for the easy to instruct is around stinginess. So there's five stinginess. But what you do is you clean the stinginess that is at the forefront of your mind. So you know stinginess is stinginess for gain. So any gain, someone's giving you something but you don't share, some information, something to help someone at work. That type of stinginess of gain where you don't want to share. Stinginess about our dwellings, so not wanting to open up our homes, not wanting to share what we've been lucky and fortunate to have. But it also comes down to the body as well. Like the body is our abode, our dwelling place. And so when we're very protective about this body, oh, don't come near me or not willing to even contemplate the body, that's also there's a stinginess there. The fourth one is around reputation. So sometimes we try to appear very good, very upright, when really we're still struggling with certain pilesas and everything, when the conditions are set a particular way. Or we want to hide certain unwholesome qualities or tendencies that we're still working through and that one it's very important to just admit in the meditation and let that one go and then the last one is around dhamma which is knowledge it can be also around dhamma 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 itself and again because a lot of this stinginess comes out of palasa the divisiveness we block out i like this i don't like that and so stinginess comes from preferences and if you can see that then you remove those things because what we don't want to do is block how much we're able to do metta metta that the buddha teaches is immeasurable so when it's immeasurable you want to make sure that there's no blocks so stinginess is the one where you think okay why am i only preferring this now with some people they also look at their their view about realms so some people have blocks about the ghost realm other people have blocks about all kinds of things. And so you look at it. You look at all the animals and things like that as well. If there's any blocks, you just remove it. So if you are easy to instruct, then you need to qualify for gentleness. So that makes sense. If someone is not gentle, that means they're rough, they're hard. That does not go with metta. So gentleness is one of those qualities that you stand on all the way to the end of this practice. All the way to nibbana because harshness is always around protectiveness me and mine let it be for me let me protect my loved ones in this particular way gentleness is understanding that everybody is brother and sister in birth old age sickness and death and so what's there to be harsh about so with gentleness it's linked with this courteousness at number eight and what we look at here in gentle is really the physical conduct and the verbal conduct if you are polite, courteous, that means you're gentle. If you're impolite, then you're not gentle. It means you're rude and you're harsh and, and quite difficult. So physical politeness is often 
you just think about examples, how you use your hands, how you point at people, the types of looks that you give people with your face, how you behave in a public situation. So for example, if someone's angry and really upset to hear Dhamma, they just walk out and they slam the door. That's impolite. Or they keep interrupting in terms of physical conduct to make noises or all kinds of things. So there's certain things around that that can be looked at. In terms of the verbal thing, the verbal thing is when someone's talking, you interrupt. It could be rude noises, exasperating noises. It could be making jokes at the expense of others, insulting people, all those sorts of things. So if that has happened, and usually when you work, there's certain things that come to mind. Just clean the mind because you, you say to yourself, I, I want to do metta, I want to develop this. That kind of behavior doesn't go with this and I need to abandon it. So if you get to this step, number four, then you can go to not arrogant. So this one is very straightforward in the sense that arrogance comes from the jobs that we do, the positions that we hold, who we think we are in the world. It's a very worldly thing. And it is also one of the harder ones to give up in terms of feta. When you think about the higher fetters, conceit is one of the last ones that you give up. And so when you think about arrogance, arrogance is when you walk into a place thinking that you know it all, that you have more than others, that you have a particular position or sense of entitlement. So there is no metta in that. So what you're saying here is, for the purpose of this, I'm actually going to start seeing that we're brothers and sisters in old age, sickness and death, birth, old age, sickness and death. What is there to be arrogant about? Whether I'm rich or not, it doesn't make a difference. Even if I'm poor, it doesn't make a difference. Even if I'm the president of the world, it doesn't make a difference. So there's nothing really to be arrogant about. And arrogance normally, if there's a problem, you think you can solve it. I can throw money at it. I can ask someone to go and fix it. All those things, even around illness, you think, oh, I'll go and book the best doctor in the world and they'll cut out whatever the, the illness is or they'll, they'll solve it. And the thing is, in this Buddha Dhamma, Buddha is saying, actually, that's not really the truth. And so metta comes from a place of not thinking in those ways, actually coming to see the metta that we're cultivating is actually because we are all in this predicament and it is not solvable. When you think about aging, sickness and death, nobody can turn the tide of those things. And so when you get to that point, the next two are the most important. When you get to controlled in the sense faculties and it becomes prudent. Santindriyo chanipako. This is really important because normally we talk about polluting the mind through the sense faculties. But in the super mundane path, it's so much more. It's actually realizing through the sense contact, that's how we create another eye, ears, nose, tongue, body and mind. That it's through thinking that we get sukha, that we keep going out with our sense faculty. And because of that, we don't see that we're still very much attached to maybe karma tanha, like the craving for sensual pleasures. But then we're also craving for the form as a result of that. When you think about this as an anagami, like non-return meditation, this bit is the most important one. And so if you have banked in your meditation an understanding about how we pollute the mind through the other five sense faculties, and you know that we are burning through the sense faculties, 
then you know what Buddha means by controlled in the sense faculties. Santa Indriya means calming the sense faculties. You don't dare go out with the eye, with the ear, with the nose, with the tongue, with this body for sense pleasure because you know that it's going to have more wanting. It's going to mean that inevitably if you keep getting the wrong end of the stick with this with this particular thing, then you'll keep wanting more and more. And so you never are away from the danger. That's really in a nutshell what Santa Indriyo means. Santa, calm, sense faculties. And it's really important because people don't realize that that is literally how we create another body. That you can't create, if you're very much with the tongue faculty, you're always looking for better taste, better taste, not seeing that the tongue ages, just like the other faculties age, then you always go out inevitably if you never give up, never renunciate, never be more simple, then you'll have to create the entire body. And most people think, well, if I do enough dana, if I keep certain five precepts, then I'll ascend upwards. But there's no guarantee if you have the wrong view. So Vyasana Sutta says, if you have the wrong view, there's no guarantee. So that's why in this meditation, if you can see it, that means you can enter the stream even at this level. Because prudent, nipako, means you've seen all this. You've seen why all of the rest of this is important. And so nipako means you make wise choices. You make very wise choices. You know that contact is the problem in the Paticca Samuppada, and you know that all feelings lead to dukkha. You know, if you already know that in the meditation, then that's also very powerful. From that point, you can actually spread metta at this level because that's quite a powerful level. The only thing at this level, if you stop at seven, is that you don't spread metta to yourself because it reinforces atta. And it's also the wrong view because we're not meant to take anything as me and mine. And you make sure, you just double check that you're not limiting your metta only to the people you like, only the people you prefer. So even at step number seven, you can actually start spreading metta in all directions. From Nipakor, this prudent, we go to courteous. So courteous, if you remember, at gentle, we did the physical and verbal uh, courteousness or politeness. So what's left is the mental one. And the way this goes is So courteous and not yearning to associate with families or groups. The mental politeness is really around we lift ourselves to another kula, to another group. So for example, sometimes you see lay people, they lift themselves thinking because we keep good sila, because we have good meditation attainments, we're actually at the level of the monastic sangha. And you rationalize that by saying, oh, there's monastic sangha that don't keep sila, they hold weapons, they do all these bad things. But you forget that the kula of sangha, the monastic sangha, is the kula of Buddha. And so it's mentally impolite for lay people to think, even though they practice well, that they're at the level of the monastic sangha who wear the chivra, who are the physical representation of the Buddha. And this is not about saying, oh, but there's these ones and there's these ones. Not that. It's about the kula itself. Likewise, it's like a student who, say, for example, a medical student who's not yet a doctor. They've done five years of study and there's one more and then there's all this other training as well. And then they're comparing themselves to a specialist who's done, I don't know, 20 years of practice as a brain surgeon. 
And so that is also mentally impolite. So you can see how it links from courteous to not yearning to associate with families. The big thing about why we don't want to be mentally impolite is because we start to develop these kula issues. It, it links with the stinginess to do with families and groups. When you have that kind of mental impoliteness, it's really checking, am I creating all these boundaries? It's also kind of linked to arrogance as well. You think, me and my country, me and my race, me and my gender, me and my sexual orientation, me and my political views, me and my, me and my, me and my. And so what you see here is Buddha is correcting, like all the way through you can see he's correcting the wrong view. So here you want to just double check, is there anything that is blocking me from immeasurable metta here on those lines? And so that's what you check. When you do that, you can actually get to this step number 10, which basically says, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be happy. This is where, when we talk about gladness and when we talk about safety, in the Buddha's teaching, we're not talking about just be well, be, be happy, be safe in the literal sense. We're talking about be safe from this whole mass of suffering, be safe from this death-bound nature that we're all going through. Even in the Dev and Brahma realms, that those ones who haven't understood Dhamma, even in the formless attainments, after a very long time, they'll fall straight to the lower realms. And it includes all the lower realms as well that we're talking about, and all the sensual desire realms that are Deva realms. All those ones where we're wishing, may you at some point not be of this death-bound nature. And you can think about the magnitude of samsara, that we've been traveling in samsara for a very long time. We can't even fathom it with no discoverable beginning and therefore no end. When you think about Buddha similes, like the amount of tears that we've shed is greater than the four great oceans. Those sorts of things, it makes you understand we're wishing people safety from all of that and being born as a human is a very, very rare thing. The supreme happiness is what we're wishing people. At some point, may they also have that supreme happiness. So you spread, spread, spread. And then what you understand from this bit here is Buddha's just teaching us all the different boundless spreading that we do. So whatever living beings are born, weak or strong, without exception, long, large, middle-sized, short, small or great, seen or unseen, far or near, in existence or seeking to exist. So you think about all the different realms of existence and you can actually go from lower realms to up to the pure abodes, all the way up even to the formless. So it's really up to you. And you can even go through the different animals, the ones that have many legs, two-legged, four-legged, all that. You can even go inside the body, the bacteria, all of that. And so when we come to step number 11 and 12, this is really the last remnants. If you think about Buddha giving us another opportunity to, to overcome the anger, because it's very serious. The fact that we birth a body and it ages and we get sick, we're prone to anger. And so with this anger, the Buddha is saying, is there any further hostility in the mind? Are we still holding any grudges in the mind? If we are, this is the opportunity to actually abandon them, to know why am I still holding on to anger to somebody who is in this same predicament for this whole samsaric journey? Why am I still doing that? If I understand that scenario for myself, 
then I cannot be holding on to any of this anger. And if people come to the mind, you just put them into almost like the metta bucket and you let it just dissolve any anger. That was Vyarosana and then Patigasanya, so this perception of ill will. The really good one here is around the Deveda Vitaka Sutta. So in that sutta, the Buddha was saying, removing all the different thoughts. You think, is it good for me? Is it good for another person? Is it good for both of us if I have this ill will? And then on top of that, he says, if I continue to have this ill will, it's going to block or reduce the wisdom. Given that this is a wisdom pathway, this whole journey that we're taking to use the Buddha's teachings, we do not want to block wisdom. Because the opposite that comes up is that we increase ignorance. So that's not what we want to do because ill will, if you know, it's the the second hindrance. So if it's still there, that means we're actually breeding ignorance because that's the nutriment for ignorance from the Avija Sutta. So ill will is very much letting that go. We want the wisdom path. And so in, in the meditation, if it comes to your mind, you think about the mother to the child. At this point, we've got certain skilled states. So right view has been established and we have the good physical conduct, good verbal conduct. We've given up the ill will. So now we have nine skilled states. So you think about the mother guarding the child, like the ideal mother, the one that would not do anything to harm the child physically, verbally, and then also mentally. And so that's where the method starts to really expand. But when you let go of this last bit of anger, it really starts to feel like you wouldn't do the slightest thing. And I think that was even back here. And let one not do the slightest wrong. But if you remove the last remnants of anger or ill will, it's really very much that I don't want to do it. I really don't want to do it. I can see all the suffering and I can see the impermanence of this whole construction. And I can see that it's not worth taking as me and mine. And so that's why you cultivate to all living beings that immeasurable loving kindness and in all directions. And you can do it in all postures. So this is further instruction from the Buddha. Now, when you get down to here where it says, this is the divine abode, really having the skilled states, you recognize that you're with those that actually cultivate metta, have practiced before. So the noble arahants, of course, all the Buddhas, the beings in the pure abode, so the anagamis, the arahants. And so it's almost like in the suttas you see light goes with light. And so the divine abode that we have cultivated is light goes with light. So we are with those noble ones who know how to cultivate this. And the 13th step is one is virtuous. So you see that. You see that because you have the nine skilled states. And you know that there's only one more that is missing. It says, having removed greed from sensual pleasures. And this is really an insight in the meditation. That when you get to this point, having really understood, controlled in the sense faculties and being prudent, and really the whole way through seeing all beings as brothers and sisters in birth, old age, sickness and death, when you get to removing greed for sensual pleasures, it's almost like asking yourself, is everything that I've taken refuge in to this point really worth it? If I have to watch all my loved ones pass away or get sick, age, is it really worth it just for something to eat? Is it really worth almost like Russian roulette? Which realm am I going to be born in? 
Is it really worth it to birth another body knowing what it's like? Is it really worth it to birth another body having to work just to control all the conditions? And if you know more Dhamma, is it really worth it to keep operating at the sense level only for the contact to then have the feeling and then to have craving and then to keep going through this whole mass of suffering over and over again out of a misapprehension? And so whatever your highest insight is, that's where you realize one certainly wouldn't want to come back into a mother's womb. So that's how you do the meditation. It's basically, if I was to summarize very quickly now, you do the checklist of uju, upright. You go through the three, physical conduct, and four, uh, verbal conduct, and you check, do I have the right conduct? So you remove any misconduct that was there. So you just check off the seven things. And then you make that strong determination for thoroughly upright to say, I understand I need to abandon this. This is not conducive to metta. So I make a strong determination in the meditation, not worrying about outside of the meditation, not to have those things. Easy to instruct. I double check. Is there derogation? Is there disparaging? Has there been envy? Has there been stinginess? And you, again, decide not to have those things. Gentle, you check your physical conduct, your verbal conduct. Has it been polite? And if it hasn't, you admit and you cleanse again. Come to not arrogant. Am I lifting myself up? I'm not being humble over my job, my life, what I believe in, whatever it is. That's not metta. Need to abandon. Controlled in the sense faculties. You could think of it even like the tortoise. You know, when it sees danger out in the world. If you really see danger in the sense faculties going out through the eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, and therefore the mind, then you realize, actually, I'm in danger of constructing another form because of it. And so I'm going to be wise. I'm going to keep it restrained, prudent. So you get to nippical. If you have that, then you just double check. Ah, mental politeness, because I've cleaned the other two. So am I lifting myself up to another kula? If I am, I need to remove that. And in doing so, I need to look at any other kulas that I'm, kulas being groups or families, that I'm also linked to because that's the blocks to metta. So you check that it's not country level, it's not sports groups, it's not gender, it's not race, it's not sexual orientation, it's not political views. Any kind of thing that blocks being able to spread to any being in the world, you just you just remove it. And then we don't spread method to ourselves. And we cultivate, may all beings receive the supreme safety of Nibbana, the supreme happiness of Nibbana, one that is not death-bound. And then with the perceiving of anger and ill will, anger, is there any more grudges in the mind? Is there anyone that I'm still perceiving in that way? They are my brother or sister in birth, old age, sickness and death, in this whole long samsari journey, why am I still having this? And then with the ill will, you check, it's not good for me, it's not good for another person, it's not good for both, and it's ruining wisdom, so I need to let that go. People who really get that one, they immediately, oh no, no more ill will. And then you realize that one is virtuous, you've got the nine skilled states, and you can be spreading like the mother to the child in all directions. And then the last one is the covetousness. If you have the insight from the other steps in the meditation, then you'll see it. You'll see, I don't want to come back to a mother's womb. So that's the meditation.
how do we feel about doing a meditation? We'll do the 45-minute meditation and then we'll do a discussion because I think it's probably good not to have questions in the mind right now. You've got to download. We'll meditate for 45 minutes and then we'll have the Dhamma discussion. Thank you.